This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, April 11th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Inside the continental United States is an imaginary border about 100 miles in. And within that border zone, federal agents feel free to violate Americans' rights without any suspicion they've committed a crime. Cato policy analyst Patrick Eddington calls it Checkpoint America. And that's also the name of a new website launched today by the Cato Institute. What should people know when they walk away from uh, reading the site that you've put together? Well, the the purpose of this entire Checkpoint America project is to create uh, an online venue and tool for folks to really gain a more concrete understanding of exactly what we mean when we talk about the Constitution-free zone here, uh, that our friends at the Customs and, and Border Protection Service uh, are responsible for harassing us whenever we happen to to pass through this particular area. And the the core of the project focuses on the 40 or so known internal CBP checkpoints that are located uh, running essentially from California all the way through Texas. Uh, we'll be updating this uh, as we go along when we get more data on other checkpoints Elsewhere in the country, it's kind of an ongoing project, if you will. I, I still need to look at the Canadian border, uh, for example. But the lion's share of these checkpoints, certainly the permanent checkpoints, and even some of these so-called temporary checkpoints, are located down in that zone that encompasses California, New Mexico, Arizona, and Texas. So for people who are uh, just listening and are, are haven't, haven't been able to get to this website uh, just yet, you know, imagine the continental United States – and imagine a line or take, a, take a, a highlighter or something like that in your mind's eye and draw a line that's 100 miles inside of that border all around the United States. And this is the zone essentially that you're describing where this exception with respect to the Fourth Amendment, you can drive many hundreds of trucks through. Uh, absolutely. No question about it. And this, of course, came about uh, in, in 1953 when the, the Department of Justice issued the initial regulation on this uh, that was not subjected to public review or comment, by the way, un- under you know, existing uh, federal rules. That would absolutely be a no-no, but uh, back in 53, it was no big deal. And the idea here was that uh, we want to be able to control who goes across our borders. Okay. I mean, just as a, as a notional concept, I don't think I'm uh, objecting to that necessarily. But the problem uh, is that that initial regulation allowed them to set up checkpoints as much as 25 miles inside the United States. And, and over the preceding decades, uh, they amended that regulation to ensure that they could go as much as 100 miles inside the United States. Again, without any kind of notice proposed rulemaking, no actual public review or comment period allowed. And that's been the case for decades now, literally. And our problem, sadly, is that in 1976, the Supreme Court elected to ratify this concept uh, in a decision known as uh, U.S. versus Martinez Fuerte. And in that decision, essentially, the court asserted that keeping illegal border crossers out was, per Congress and the executive branch, a major national priority, and they further held that, quote, stops and questioning may be made at reasonably located checkpoints in the absence of any individualized suspicion, end quote. 
So that was the ruling that really kind of opened the floodgates, if you will, to allow Customs and Border Protection to set these things up uh, pretty much anywhere they wanted to within that that 100-mile zone that had been established by the unreviewed regulation that I just described. And over the course of the last four decades, we have seen CBP invest more money and infrastructure for infrastructure for these checkpoints. And we're at a place now where, just to give you one example, in uh, Fall Furious, Texas, which is not that far from the U.S.-Mexico border at all, they now have so much traffic down there that they're actually building a new, entirely new, huge checkpoint that will run, a fixed checkpoint that will run into the tens of millions of dollars by the time uh, they're done. And, you know, the, the idea here was that these checkpoints would be used essentially to catch folks who should not be in the country to begin with. But what we know on the basis of uh, general uh, or government accountability office reports in, in 2009 and, and more recently in, in 2017 is that optimistically, at most, they're catching 2% of the folks who are coming across. Now, that's, a, that's an aggregate number. It's a large number. We don't have a lot of data on individual checkpoints because CBP has been stonewalling and providing that information. What we do know on the basis of, of the ACLU Arizona chapter's lawsuits is that in Arizona itself, which for many people, I think, they'd agree that's kind of ground zero of the whole immigration debate, several of these checkpoints in the Tucson area are capturing significantly less than 1% of unauthorized border crossers. What they are doing, however, is getting a lot of weed dime bags. <laughs> that, that's, what, that's what GAO found in their 2017 study of the almost uh, 40,000 some odd stops, uh, seizures that took place at, at these checkpoints. Something on the order of 40% were for one ounce or less bags of marijuana. And I can imagine uh, the agency um, trying to turn a negative into a positive saying, well, this is perfectly fine. Oh, yeah. This is, this is a perfectly acceptable, legitimate use, even though it's not, you know, not spelled out anywhere in terms of what we're supposed to be doing here. But um, that, that's fine. We should, we should celebrate that outcome rather than uh, poo-poo it. And they do, uh, religiously. Anytime they make a drug bust uh, at one of these particular checkpoints, you will see a press release issued. I mean, it's, it's not whether, uh, it's simply when that happens. And I, I don't want to, you know, completely drag the whole drug war issue in, into this discussion, but I, I, I do think it is worth noting that if, if we did resolve that issue with respect to marijuana, at least, if, if we did get the FDA out of this business uh, and let the states go ahead and deal with this as, as a practical matter, that would certainly take this issue off the table. And it helps us, even when we look at the stats as they are, it really does, in my mind, at least help us to kind of uh, focus people's attention on the fact that they're using these checkpoints for, for something completely different than what they were originally authorized for. They've turned them in, essentially, into generalized crime control checkpoints. And the thing about uh, Arizona, and particularly a little town called Aravaca, is that that really has become kind of ground zero for the confrontation between locals who object to these checkpoints uh, and CBP agents. A couple of years ago, the ACLU filed a lawsuit on behalf of some of the residents of Aravaca who had been essentially chased away from one of the local CBP checkpoints while they were trying to monitor 
CBP officers in the performance of their duties. And they were threatened with arrest and all kinds of harassment activity. And in February 2018, the Ninth Circuit overruled a lower court uh, and said that absolutely the residents have a right to record and monitor uh, federal law enforcement officers at these checkpoints in the performance of their official duties. I think it's, it's tragic that we had to get to that point. You know, there should have been some common sense applied a long time ago, some rationalism applied here to say, look, are these checkpoints really actually doing what they're designed to do, which is catch folks who are here in an unauthorized or illegal fashion? Pretty much the answer is no. So logically, that should mean that these checkpoints be disestablished and the personnel transferred down to the southern border. That's what should be happening. I'm not saying that that's anything approaching uh, an ideal solution to our immigration problem. I, I certainly don't believe that. But if you if you take the president, if you take President Trump at his word that he actually wants to do something to help you know strengthen protections against folks crossing into this country illegally, having these checkpoints anywhere from 25 to 100 miles inside the country is exactly the opposite way to go about it. So whether or not we'll see a reevaluation of that policy over the course of you know, the Trump presidency, no idea at this point. But if, if I were going to make a recommendation of the president on this issue, that would be the first one that I would make. Shut these things down, send those guys and gals down to the border where they should be, uh, and let's stop violating the Fourth Amendment rights of innocent American citizens who have to transit these things to get to work, go to the grocery store, et cetera. How many Americans live in that 100-mile uh, border within the border? Our friends at the American Civil Liberties Union actually have a really nifty graphic. Uh, you can find this online if you just simply you know, search for 100-mile border zone. They estimate that roughly two-thirds of the American population, or about 200 million people, would fall into that zone. So sitting here in, in Cato's uh, studio in, in Washington, D.C., I am sitting in the border zone, <laughs> according to the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, this means that Miami, New York, Los Angeles... Seattle, um, Houston, they're all inside the zone. So you really start to think about what CBP could potentially do if they wanted to. They could, they could literally set up uh, a checkpoint here on Independence Avenue in D.C. if they wanted to. Now, I, I, I don't think it would last long because you'd see members of Congress come unglued about that uh, and others. But uh, the folks that live down in Aravaca, Arizona, or some of the or uh, Ways, uh, Arizona, or uh, Alamogordo, New Mexico, places outside the, the D.C. area, they don't have the benefit necessarily of, of being able to make those kinds of challenges, which is why what the ACLU did on behalf of the folks down in Aravaca, I think, was a really great public service. It's, it's outrageous that they had to do it. Congress should have intervened on this issue a long time ago. Uh, and whether we'll get them to revisit that uh, in the coming year or not, again, that remains to be seen. So it's an exception that made this original border zone acceptable for courts. But why haven't we seen any successful challenges to this up till now? Because we're talking about, you know, a huge chunk of the population. Uh, I guess most of the firepower is aimed in the southern part of the United States. But, you know, I, I can imagine a class action lawsuit involving the city of Seattle, San Francisco, San Diego, New York... I think the problem that we have is that the vast majority of people who are truly affected by this on a day-to-day -day basis, unfortunately, don't live in Washington or Seattle or Houston, for that matter. They live in these areas that aren't all that far from the border, or they live in areas where CBP asserts that the human smuggling aspect of this uh, and, the, and the 
unauthorized human immigration aspect of this is at its greatest. And as I think GAO has really been able to show now, that's just simply a fantasy. It's not true. And I should point out that for over two years now, I have had a Freedom of Information Act request on administrative appeal at the Department of Homeland Security asking for data on literally every one of these checkpoints going back to 1976 to find out just exactly, you know, how many times folks are getting stopped, how many use of force incidents have we really had at these things, because an awful lot of this stuff simply does not get reported. I think the average person, particularly if it's a person of color, especially if it's a Latino uh, person, they just want to find a way to get through these checkpoints, right, and and not make a lot of waves so they don't wind up uh, getting smashed up or, or, or worse, even killed. And so I think an awful lot of what happens at these checkpoints, tragically, again, is not being reported. And I think that's something else that really needs to be addressed so that we get a, a good, firm grasp on the scope of the abuses that are taking place. Patrick Eddington is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. The website, now up at Cato.org, is Checkpoint America. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes at Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 